Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and Medhab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. We've got Dr. Emily with us today, and uh, we tried to conduct ourselves a few weeks back via Skype in Spain, she was. And we, our connection just sucked. I don't know how else to express it other than it just was a bad, bad connection, and, and it, it was just a very difficult thing that we tried to do. And so I really wanted to get her back. We actually had her scheduled for mid-July, but... Uh, I got some things on my chest I want to get off, and Dr. Emily is the person to talk to on the subject of running shoes and what to do about finding stability with your feet. Who else could I speak to but Dr. Emily? And I have her on the line just one sec. Dr. Emily, welcome back. Thank you. I'm actually in the U.S. this time. Well, you know, uh, it was just a hard thing we tried to do last time, and, you know, we get an A for effort, and, and it, just, it was just miserable. <laughs> okay. This will be much better. So, uh, before we get started, how was your trip to Spain? It was amazing. Thank you. Um, I trained 32 professionals about my barefoot movements, and uh, many, many of them are runners. So I was able to introduce uh, the concept to the to the runners in Spain. That's cool. And wh- how did you? Uh, how, I mean, aside from the work, I mean, did you enjoy the country? Uh, yes, I saw it, uh, the Rambla, and uh, I was in Barcelona. I saw the Rambla and uh, the Gaudi Gaudi Church. So yeah. it, was, it was beautiful. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And the people, nice, huh? Oh, they're very nice. Very nice. I like they uh, they drink at lunchtime <laughs> and they take you over lunches. It was great. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they like to party, you know, and it yeah. doesn't get it doesn't get cooking till like one two in the morning either. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, you live different yeah. than my lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, hearty folk, no question about it. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of for those that are new to us and to you, Emily, I just want to get a little background here. Uh, Dr. Emily is a podiatrist, and she is the founder of the Evidence-Based Fitness Academy, and she's a human movement specialist, just a a tremendous background in things to do with barefoot training, whether it be for rehab, whether it be for fitness, and or sport. So uh, who better to talk to about the subject of running shoe selection and and some of the issues that are just burning in my chest right now that I can't wait to get to. So uh, we got caught up 
uh, last time around, and I was trying to um, I was trying to discuss a problem that one of my clients was having in respect to his back. And, you know, here's a fellow that had a, a laminectomy and, you know, a bulging disc and blah, blah, blah. And to look at his feet, his bare feet, you know, but I'm dating right now. And, and I tell him all the time, I said, whatever you do, don't take your shoes off because it's not going to go well. As soon as they see those toes pointing every which way, uh, it's just not pretty. But um, I told him that the reason that a lot of the problems he's experiencing is quite possibly a result of the fact that he's been out of touch with the earth's surface with his feet. <laughs> he said he grew up in cowboy boots and, you know, that was an issue. But uh, at the end of the day, I tell him all the time to address his feet and right up the kinetic chain, things are going to start to improve. And, and Emily is the master of this thought process. And... Uh, I, I kind of got to this early, but I just want you to remember this comment and this question because I want to, I want to back up and I want to talk about the issues with shoe selection and marketing in the shoe industry right now. And then we're going to dovetail back into, you know, the things that we would do to correct some of these, uh, these issues that we face. But Emily, we started to talk about you know, what the shoe industry is doing right now. And, and I, I got to I, I tell you, we went minimal. I mean, for a while there was this big rant and the, the Born to Run, uh, you know, rave that was going off and everybody wanted to get into five fingers. And, and then the whole shoe industry took a turn and got away from uh, elevated heels and started going towards zero drop. And then the shoes got lighter and lighter and lighter. And the source of injuries changed. Uh, and now here we've done an about face, and now what's getting to be very popular, it seems, is these really heavily cushioned shoes. And so can you – let me shut up. and let, Can you give me kind of a broad synopsis of what you think that's all doing and, and where this is heading? Uh, well, I, I mean, footwear in general is very trendy, and I think that um, shoe manufacturers and these other brands, like, it's, they know they can make a quick buck with footwear trends, especially when it goes with with running or an activity where, you know, you're going to get, like, a huge influx. Um, if people have pain, they will buy anything or they will try anything. Even if they wear it once, these shoe companies don't care if you really even wear it. As long as you purchase it, <laughs> that's all they care about. Um, so I think that it's, it's just the next shift that they're like, okay, we we took away the heel toe drop, we made it zero drop, then we did zero drop minimal, and now we'll we'll keep the zero drop and we'll make it maximal because the consumer's perception of comfort is like the cushion. So um, that's where this trend really came in. And people who do try the, the maximal shoes, like the Hoka or the New Balance Balm, um, really perceive it as comfortable. Um, and they feel like there's like a spring effect when they walk. Um, so, you know, it's, it's no wonder. But the, the maximal shoes, I know that when, when you probably see them, and this is like what's, what's burning on your chest, is the mess shoes. Well, 
Yeah, yeah. And but let me share with you a thought that I had the other day. Back in the day, I mean back in the day, I used to work for Porsche. And actually, I worked for Porsche and Audi. And we did a tremendous amount of uh, education in the two facets of safety where automobiles are concerned. And they break it down like this. There's passive safety and there's active safety. So um, passive safety is what the vehicle will do uh, without you. So in other words, they, they have what they call these controlled deformation zones and things like this. So if you crash into something, you're fairly well protected. And then you have active safety is what you can do as the driver to avoid this collision. Okay. And so the parallel here is that, to me, this big, cushy soul will hopefully dissipate a lot of the errors that you make as a driver. And a more active approach would be to learn to run with good running skills and use your body as your body was designed to, to function. Would you think that's a pretty reasonable analogy between those two? Yeah, I think that's a, I should really like that analogy. <laughs> I might have to quote you and use that analogy. But, but see, you know, and it's, I remember back in the day, they, Audi was at ends with Volvo because Volvo was known as the very, very safe automobile. Right, mm -hmm. and everybody that you know, the family would buy the Volvo because the Volvo will protect your family, right? And so they did this commercial where they showed this Volvo in the desert going about 100 miles an hour straight into a brick wall, and you know, they, then they start talking about how you know the passenger would have survived, blah blah blah, and then they show the Audi going straight at that brick wall and then going around it, <laughs> and so it's like. It's like a lot of those pull-out jokes, you know, or you put the shovel in front of your face, you know. <laughs> you just got to get out of the way. I mean, why, why, just, why just disregard the potential for correcting the problem? Yeah. Because to, to me, that's the, that's the meat and potatoes is learn to move and don't, don't just, you know, take the easy way out uh, because at the end of the day, you don't teach yourself anything when, you're, when you get into this you know, this marshmallow. Yeah, 100%. Well, the the biggest thing with footwear and all of the research is that it's never the shoe. Like, you can add this new feature, that new feature, it doesn't matter, and you will still get injured, which means it's not the shoe. And it goes back to kind of what you're saying is it's, it's the running technique. It's your, you know, your dorsiflexion. How, how long is your stride? What is your foot strength? Are you in touch with the the small nerves of the foot and your pre-activation system. So it's, it's not the footwear. It's, it's exactly what you're saying, like let's tap in to movement and then the underlying strength of your nervous system and your body and the way that you control motion. And so I really, you know, my heart goes out to the industry. I mean, not, excuse me, not the industry, but the consumer. Because what happens is, as you suggested, you know, you're motivated by the injuries. You know, you're just like, oh, man. No matter what I do, my knee hurts, or I get shin splints, or my back mm -hmm. hurts. And so you go into XYZ running shoe store, and, you know, the pretty young clerk takes you over and, you know, puts you on a treadmill with the mood ring kind of a deal, and they're going, oh, well, look up there. You're, you know, you're putting a lot of load into your heel, and, you know, you're not very stable, so we're going to put you in a motion control cushion shoe. Mm -hmm. 
and it, life is going to be better from here on out. And you've got the hook so deep in your, in your mouth at this point that you, you quit using any reason, and, and you didn't really know any better, so you go home with this heavy-soled shoe that's supposed to basically correct all your, your maladies, all the form issues that you're experiencing. And two weeks later, the, the injury hasn't gone away. You're still in, you're stuck in the same ship that you sailed in on, right? Yep, that happens many, many times. And that's includes that, but it's not the, the footwear. So when I see a patient who's injured and I give them recommendations of footwear, or if they need orthotics or want orthotics, whether I recommend orthotics or not, um, I tell them that it's, this is not a magic shoe, a magic insert. There is still this whole other thing you have to do, and some people don't want to do the whole, <laughs> they want the quick fix. If I change my shoes, better, I can run. <laughs> and right. unfortunately, that's not the, the reality of it. Um, so I spend a majority of my time educating patients on, like, tissue stress and, like, physiology and, you know, like, you're still a human being and your tissue is going to fatigue at some point. It's your goal to ride under the radar by understanding what you need to do for your specific body. And what you do is not necessarily going to be for the, the next patient who comes into my office. It's, it's not that easy. And, you know, what I find, too, is that a lot of times we have our heroes in the sport, you know. So, you you know, you're running with a group of people and you got this little whippet. That, that is running with you. And quite frankly, it doesn't make a difference what he sticks under his foot because his strength to weight ratio is such that it, he gets away with everything. Mm-hmm. And, and it, you know, b- because, you know, he weighs 126 pounds, when he runs, he could do it all day because his energy cost is not nearly what it is, for example, me. And, mm-hmm. he, and he could do this all day long. And so what you do is you go, gosh, for me to run like him, I might wear the shoe he wears. Well, and so he's got just some random brick that he put on his shoes that he's probably been wearing ever since his daddy bought them for him the first time. And it's all been, you know, just rosy for him because he's not had a problem. And and so then what ends up happening is everybody's got that follow-the-leader kind of mentality. They want to do what the fast guy does. And the running shoe industry will um, put their shoe on, you know, the next champion or, you know, the the current mm-hmm. champion – and then everybody just figures, well, if he, it's good for him, it's good for me. And it just, it just drives me crazy because so many people are getting hurt. And they don't, as you suggested, they don't want to go the long road, which is to correct the problems with the way they're moving and their functional mechanics. Mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. So I, I will guide the patients to different footwear. Like, I still will recommend traditional footwear. Um, I will recommend the minimal, and I have, which I hate to admit this, <laughs> have recommended to a couple patients the Hoka. Not only, and I was just like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, I had to go shower or something like that. <laughs> but <laughs> they had such bad Achilles tendonitis, and it, it just like, and I was like, you know what? Let me just try this. Let me see if this is what will, like, allow you to modify how you strike and then and then you know that would decrease your Achilles tendon pain um, well you know yeah, so I I get that I really do get that and uh, but see here's what happens now with all the people that are sitting here listening to this that are wearing hocus they're gonna say oh she see she said so too 
And, and so, so their assumption being that if I wear hokas, I won't have Achilles problems anymore. And that's not, not the thing. That, no, I know, I know. But, but you know how they, things get twisted, right? The point being is this exactly, is that I'll give you a prime example, you know, and I'm going to throw family under the bus right now. My brother is a, a sixth-degree black belt. He's been studying martial arts since I put him in martial arts as a 13-year-old, something like that. And he is now, he's now, uh, I think, 56 years old. I mean, literally, this kid was doing, I say kid, he was, he was doing like 500 kicks a day religiously before he went to work his entire life and been, been teaching and studying and competing in martial arts his entire life and doing these extre extremely uh, extensive beyond range of motion stretches. I'm talking about doing the Chinese splits and things like this. Mm -hmm. He forced himself and taught himself. So he basically distended his hip joints eventually with time. And so he had to have his hip resurface, right? Mm -hmm. And he's a relatively hard-headed guy. I mean, love him to death, but, you know, he's pretty hard-headed. And he runs, and he cycles, and he swims, and he's very, very active. But um, he, you know, post-surgery, he's looking for a solution, and I've been telling him. Time, and we all live near each other, so I haven't had a chance to spend any time with him and help him with his running stride. But I've tried to guide him, right? You know, we have conversations, I've talked to him, I've pointed him in directions. But I said, look, dude, you have got to correct the way you're running because you're landing deep into your heels. It's telegraphing directly up into your hip. And aside from all the things that were the precursors for your injury, this is making things worse. Right. Somebody stuck a pair of hokas on him, right? And he's gone, oh, this is great. You know, I don't hurt anymore. I don't hurt him. I said, you know, but we could have, we could have accomplished the same thing without putting the mattress under your foot. Uh -huh. and, and at the end of the day, I, I believe, and you, you could tell me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the better fix is to correct the way you move so that your body is essentially impervious to most of these running-related injuries. No, I, I agree 100%. Um, that HOCA that I recommended to the patient is kind of the same way that when I have the busy Wall Streeter who has flat feet upon a fasciitis and is not going to do the, the rehab or what I tell him to do, and I'm like, let me just get you in the tonics. And, you know, <laughs> kind of the same thing. But I was like, listen, this takes, like, barefoot stimulation, eccentric training, myofascial release, pelvic floor activation, and this guy was like, isn't that just a shoe? <laughs> I was like, oh, fine. Yeah, so you, you, you went from being a podiatrist to a veterinarian. You know, so it's like, you know, the vet can't tell the dog, hey, look, you know, we got to keep you off that leg a little bit, you know, or don't, don't scratch, okay, don't scratch. Yeah. Don't so what they do is they put the cone around your head, right? Exactly. That's essentially, you know, and so I understand that. But, see, what, what ends up happening is that, you know, people, us at large, we're not that sharp. We, we want, you know, we want fast food. We want quick fix. We don't want to think. We don't want to work. We just want it all to be done for us. And so, you know, you walk in and some, you know, some cat in a running shoe store says, well, you know, it appears to me that your problem with your knees is that you've got gross instability and you need to, you need a stability shoe. And, and you put this shoe under your foot and it's all going to be great. No, it's not. Yeah, it just makes me so mad. And, and, and so, like you, incidentally, what ends up happening, and, and I shouldn't complain because it's how I make a living, 
I have people come to me when they're at their wit's end. They are done. I mean, they're just, everything they've tried is not working. And then eventually the orthopod will tell them, look, dude, you really need to stop running. You need to get on an elliptical or get on a recumbent bike to get your exercise because you can't run anymore. Your joints can't take it. And, and then, you know, within a matter of a few sessions in education, I'm able to get these people back in the game. They're actually yeah. running and, and functioning like they had when they were young, simply because they changed the way they're moving. Yeah, it, it usually takes them to be at that, like, last straw or, like, that last option, and then people will find the motivation to do it. Right. Well, and then, again, obviously enough, it requires someone like you to, to break it down for them and explain to them what it is they're doing or what they're not doing and how these these structures function, and in the absence of, you know, this, I call it sensory motor amnesia, when, when your body is just not communicating, you know, you're left to whatever else, you know, you're, you're, you're bone on bone, and you're just essentially collapsing under, under gravity, and you, you destroy your body because you're just not functioning properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I like what, what, what you said about the education side of it, though, where... I try to put it in a way that my patients will understand, and then what, as soon as you understand something, then you see the the impact of what you're doing or what you're not doing. And I think maybe that's why I get, like, a good compliance rate, <laughs> because I'm actually empowering my patients by educating them. And those yeah. like no one has ever explained. I don't know how many times a day. Right. I like hear that where they're just like no one has ever explained it this way, and I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know why. No one else explains, you know, the foot biomechanics and what it does to your knees, your hips, your shoulder, your headache, like whatever, you know. But that's what it does. Yeah. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it, I find too that a, a lot of my clients these days are, are kids that are involved in sport, mm-hmm. and. Um, it starts there. You know, these kids uh, eventually get strong enough to destroy their bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're at this point in your life where you're so light and you're so agile and everything's still fresh and, and, and cool, you get away with everything. And then they start working out and they start lifting weights and you start getting, you know, this musculature that is powerful enough when thrown around incorrectly puts them in a very bad place. They end up getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Had a kid the other day, uh, was referred to me, incidentally, to the credit of this, this chiropractor that he was seeing. He had uh, issues with his psoas muscles. His hip flexors were just so, so locked up. And uh, the guy was seeing this kid three times a week. And I don't know for how long, but eventually the, he called me and said, look, I have this athlete, you know, and he's, he's having lots of issues. Do you think you, you can help him? You know, because I, I think he came to a place where, you know, after all these treatments, you know, nothing was changing because the root of the problem wasn't changing. It wasn't changing the way he was moving. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's basically, you know, when he's on fire, somebody throws a bucket of water on him, and he goes back and starts playing with matches again. Uh, but he ends up coming to me. I do a video analysis. I show him the way he's making contact with the ground and why this is rolling straight up into his hips the way it is. And that... Uh, through changing the way he's moving, in a matter of, uh, I'd say, well, at this point I've seen him six times, I have him doing overspeed training. I have this kid jumping on to a moving treadmill belt 
in excess of 20 miles per hour without any issues in his hips and doing wow. interval, interval repeats uh, at 20 miles an hour for 10, 15 seconds at a time with no stress in his hips whatsoever because he, you know, he was listening to me and we very quickly and very easily were able to, you know, redirect the work, show him where to put the work so he wouldn't be under those uh, those stresses anymore, and, and the, the whole thing just went away. His mother just sat there, was just blown away that, you know, in a matter of a couple, three sessions, he was able to run and perform without any pain. And really, mm-hmm. all I did was redirect the work and educate him, which is exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. It all has to do with uh, force and impact and initial contact and just you... you mm, change a few things like that and things just start firing in the way that they're supposed to fire, which is um, kind of often overlooked. So let's let's talk about um, this pre-activation training. I mean, we, we tried to get there the last time and it was so sad. You know, it's like, ah, 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 oh, damn, I can't do it. <laughs> so, so tell the audience, I, I want to kind of break it down. So let me let me set the stage for you if I could. I'm a runner, and so I'm going to try to get the greatest performance I can garner from my body. And so I've learned from Emily how to do this pre-activation. Explain to our folk how this whole thing sets up and works. Sure. So um, pre-activation is one of two neuromuscular responses. So you either react to something or you pre activate against something. So you're you're either responding to a stimulus or you are um, responding to the stimulus before you even encounter it. So if we're talking about running, that is going to be the ground and the impact forces associated with it. So um, reactive response would be foot strikes the ground, your body feels the vibrations and then kind of calculate what that is as far as like surface and compliance to the surface and degree of ground reaction forces and then your body responds. Um, whereas pre-activation is you would be firing the stabilizers and the muscles that are going to help down the vibrations and the impact forces before your foot even strikes the ground. Um, most, most injuries have to do with a delay in deceleration or a delay in the loading response which means that if you can train runners or athletes or patients, it doesn't matter, to better tap into their pre-activation system, they're going to be moving more efficiently and they're going to be loading and responding at a much faster rate because they're doing it before they're going to strike in the ground. Um, And that's really what pre-activation training is. The way that you tap into the pre-activation system is through the barefoot. So you, you need the most accurate perception of what your body is encountering through the bottom of the foot, and then your body pre-programs the motor responses based off of that information. So you wear shoes, you never tap into that, um, that vital, accurate, nervous information, and your body always says it's also perception. Um, so that, that's a lot of what my program and my education is about. In short, what happens is we would do some exercise barefoot to tap into this pre-activation functionality. So in other words, we're, we're essentially um, 
um, setting up a, a line of communication with our central nervous system so that these intrinsic muscles will begin firing and be, be uh, put unaware, so to speak, so that when we do make contact with the ground, everybody's ready to catch it. Is that kind of what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. And your body, so this is based off of research by Dr. Meek in Calgary, um, is if we were to walk across the surface in your barefoot, after like three or four steps, your body or your nervous system, the central nervous system already knows the surface, your body weight, the impact forces, the compliancy of the surface, that it starts firing the stabilizers before you even strike the ground by your third, fourth, fifth step. Um, the more that you shift, and how I take this um, into runners even further and patients and athletes and stuff like that, is the more that you change your surfaces. So let's say I'm going to be on like surface A and I'm going to go do a few steps on surface B and there are different compliances, your body can process or pre-activate to these, all these different surfaces if you keep switching it. So, um, a great, great example, and if it's long-winded, I apologize. <laughs> but Dr. Nig, and I, I love this story because it really gets people to hone in on what pre-activation is and how the body goes in past forces is Dr. Nave was called in by Cirque du Soleil, so the flying circus type performance company, and they had this brand new stage for um, performance, I think it was in Las Vegas or something like that, and when they came to this new stage, they started getting all these plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendonitis, which are impact-related injuries. So they brought him down and they were like, our performance has never had Achilles in the nice contract. You gotta like investigate something. Something's up, is it the stage? And what Dr. Nick saw is that the stage had these beams under it which were supporting the stage, but the performer would land, if they would land on the beam or on the stage with the beam under it, the compliance and the vibrations were different than when they would land on the surface without the beam. So essentially all of the performers' pre-activation responses were set for the stage and the vibrations and the compliancy of the stage without the beam. So every time they started landing on the stage where it had the beam under it, it would get hurt because the body was like, wait, no, no, I thought it was this. And that's where you get injuries. So what they did is they switched the stage made it all one compliancy. There were no beams that were under part of it. So it was a very consistent surface so that the performers could use that pre-activation response and it would be consistent throughout. All of the performance, all of the performers, the Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, went away. So wow. that, okay, that's so how I treat runners with that same theory. So here's the, the question that I'm sure a lot of people are thinking to ask you at this moment is, um, I'm a trail runner. And, uh, you know, let's say that uh, I get together with my friends on Saturday and we do this long trail run, you know, undulating terrain, a little hill climbing, you know, a lot of bounding over rock and what have you. So mm -hmm. in that scenario, uh, the the type of surfaces that you're functioning on are really kind of the same. You're set up for the same type of functionality given that scenario. 
But if you were to go like on Sunday for a long road ride uh, run mm-hmm. like on, on pavement, that that change in dynamic would be not real good for you. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I, I, I feel like that and then where I see a lot of it is I will have runners who training for a marathon or whatever, it doesn't matter, run on the street or outside and then they will go indoors and do indoor track, like the run on the indoor track. And I can associate and I can time when their injuries started to occur when they switched to go onto that track. And it has to do with the pre-activation response and what the body and the soft tissue is accustomed to reacting to. So um, if you're going to change your surface, you have to go back to the progressive, almost like a lot of people who switch from heel strike to midfoot strike, that same theory of being progressive, not too much too soon. Um, but also warming up barefoot on that surface and let your body like, okay, this is the compliancy. You know, do I, I have a barefoot sequence and I have barefoot jumps that I have people do on that surface. And then that starts to pre-program the pre-activation system. Okay. So let me see if I'm clear. Let's say, for example, that, you know, uh, I'm getting re- – let's say I've been running on pavement and, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we're going to run trails today. Uh, the, the prudent thing to do would be to, you know, take the shoes off, take the socks off, and motor around on the surfaces that I plan to run on for a bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so, you know, uh, we haven't gone into the depth of the type of exercises or drills that you would do, and difficult to do anyway given, you know, the fact that we're audio versus video. Right, right. Um, but, you know, before you, you kind of try to explain this, what I'm suggesting is would I do this for 10 minutes? Do I do this for half an hour? How long does it take to start to see some return on that pre-activation investment? So I, I have people do it for roughly, I would say like five to ten minutes, so kind of like that eight-minute golden, you know. Um, and a little bit of research that I've done myself is I would take one of and it was specific to flat feet um, just because the, the control is going to be a little bit different in a flat foot and have them do this pre-activation sequence, we'll call it, um, and then have them run and then do the pre-activation sequence and then have them run again. And what I saw was a more normalized gate force impact curve, which means that the body is stabilizing before you're even striking the ground. So you're kind of like one step ahead of the impact that you're about to encounter. Um, and I've seen it over and over that it will normalize the force peak curve with the barefoot or the, the flat foot runner when they do the pre-activation. And that was that was eight minutes. That was an eight-minute little barefoot routine. And um, a lot of runners now, I mean, should be doing like dynamic warm-up before running <laughs> somewhat. Um, right. So if you're going to do something outside and you're going to be on like a trail or whatever and there's the grass or the earth that you're going to be encountering, if you have an area to do um, some of these movements and and to start getting your body to respond to the impact and what, what the compliance earth is, um, then that's where you're going to be 
uh, one step ahead of the injury. Huh. So, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about uh, a particular run that we do where it's a trail run, but we go to this canyon and for about six miles, five miles, it's paved, and then it breaks off into, you know, a, a, a trail. And mm -hmm. so depending on how far you go, you may end up running about half the distance on trail and half the distance on, on pavement. Uh, yeah. That's probably not a real good plan. It's probably what would be the smart thing to do is either stay on trail or stay on pavement. I, ideally, yes. Um, you know, if you're following this and, you know, because people really can't associate what, what their injuries are, and it takes, like, a lot of accumulative um, kind of encounters for it to eventually, like, fatigue and, and break down, um, is, yeah, having a more consistent surface. So when you, when you go from the concrete to then the, the trail, the vibrations that are coming in are going to alter, and your your body or your soft tissue doesn't like that variance in vibrations because then the muscles have to work to bring those vibrations back to the status quo vibration that it likes. And the more work that your soft tissue does to try and try, try and make the vibration consistent is where you get fatigued. And then when you start fatiguing your soft tissue, that's where you get like shin splints or medial tibial stress syndrome, and the tibia can start to bow. Um, same thing in the foot with stress fractures, is if the intrinsics and the muscles in the foot contract to keep the vibrations um, around the status quo, and then they start to fatigue, then that's where your metatarsals don't have the interossei acting as like a brace. Does that make sense? Or my <laughs> maybe my coffee kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally get what you're saying. I just you know it, it, we we sometimes can be a little ahead of our audience. I think sometimes. Oh, but sorry. anyway, let, let, let me uh, let's go back to the the simplistic uh, you know uh, dog and pony show. So we, for example, and I, I teach people this in, in exercise commonly and across the board where physical uh, challenge is concerned, I always follow the premise of simple to complex exercise. Uh -huh. so, uh, so to break this down, um, we as runners are always functioning on one leg at a time. We're not, there's very little right. that we do where okay. we're commanded to be on both feet at the same time. So doing just basically a balancing act on one foot. So uh, for a lot of people, just having them post on one leg uh, is a challenge. And uh, commonly you'll find that one leg is more stable than the other. And so what I would typically tell them is to stabilize on one leg, hold it for 30 seconds if you can, go to the other leg, stabilize for 30 seconds, come back, do it again. And then there's a learning curve. Yeah, and, I would, and by the way, we're doing this barefoot. So um, what I find is that when People have done this a few times that they start to uh, find stability because they're giving their brain a chance to figure out what they need to do in order to, to fire the, the, the appropriate muscles to find stability. And then we go into progressions where, you know, okay, you've done it on one leg now, let's uh, uh, rotate, you know. Uh, but 
Can you build on the ABCs of what these drills might best look like, given that you have about five minutes to do them? Sure, yes. So um, how you say standing on the single leg, that's exactly what I do. Um, I have them barefoot, and then I have them also doing um, short foot, which I don't know if all of your listeners know what short foot is, but it's an intrinsic uh, or it's a it's an exercise that strengthens the muscles inside the foot, so the small muscles, and that's really the foundation to all of this uh, barefoot pre-activation uh, training. So short foot always has to be there. Your single leg always has to be there, and then we go through the movements. So, so short foot. Uh, just before we go too far, uh, to kind of touch on what short foot is. It's beyond the short foot. So it's, uh, uh, try to imagine if you put, like right now I have my hand on my desk, and if I try to cup the the desk with my hand, so essentially pulling down a little bit with my toes and and almost drawing up my arch. Is that kind of like what a short foot would be like? Uh, yes, correct. And I will even tell people to just um, think about their great toe and drive the big toe down into the ground. And so they're almost rooting with that big toe, and then that kicks in the abductor hallucis, if they want to know the name of the muscle, which then picks up the arch and stimulates the hip, and it creates this, like, domino effect. Um, there, it's explained in a couple different ways that if your listeners are not familiar with it, there's some great YouTube videos and they can kind of practice on their own. Um, it's definitely something that the more that you do it, the return in strength is very fast. So the first time you do it, you might be like, oh, what am I doing? And then the next day you're like, oh, I got it. And then right. it becomes very strong, very quick. Um, which is great because it's a small muscle, so you get like a, a fast return on your your investment. Um, so the idea of drawing drawing the the great toe or pushing down on the ground with your big toe mm-hmm. um, is almost the polar opposite of what most people do when they try to look for stability on their foot because of the nature of the way they tend to evert. They roll out to the to the small toe when they walk. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. even, and especially heel-striking runners, they tend to uh, find that varus angle. They go out to the outside and then lay their foot down. So the last thing to hit the ground before they start to accelerate would be their big toe. So what you're mm-hmm. suggesting is turning that around where try to think in terms of finding, I call it a diving board, incidentally. You want to find a diving board, which is your big toe, where all your force production is most uh, dominant, and try mm-hmm. to drive the ground that way. So when you're doing these these drills on one foot, that's the focus point, which is to try to put the energy into the big toe, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. 100%. And then um, what I have them do is always do the single leg stance with a little bit of flexion in the knee um, because short foot actually locks your joints. So when your knee is extended, like say someone is standing on their leg with their knee extended, their hip extended almost like, they're in yoga and they're doing like tree pose, right? So everything is kind of locked out. All of your joints are stacked, which means the muscles can kind of take a break, which is why you do it in yoga. You want all your joints stacked in yoga so you can hold the pose for a very long time and kind of zone out. Um, but when you're talking about prepping for running, you don't want your joints to be stacked and locked because then your muscles 
you don't want your muscles to be checked out. So you always want to have a little bit of a flexion in the knee and in the hip, which unlocks the joints, which requires your muscles to kick in to stabilize the joints. So that's just kind of a small um, pearl, I guess. And then single leg, the holding is, they do it the way that you explained, and then they start moving through single leg movements. So we could do a single leg deadlift, which would be like a hip hinge. Um, so they would just kind of tilt forward almost like a, I call it like a seesaw. They're on one leg and they're just going to drop the chest and drop, bring the opposite leg down. Um, and then they're going to come up. As they do that, they want to think about short foot. And when you're on the bottom of the deadlift or you're out like a seesaw, so your chest is parallel to the floor and your back leg is as well, that's where you want to kick in short foot. So you, you drive your big toe down into the ground as you lift your chest and you kick in your glutes to do that. Um, hopefully that's making sense. It does. So, it does okay, good. So, so short foot has to be timed at a specific moment. And this is where a lot of people, because um, people will, will kind of see and read stuff that I do or tweak it, I don't know. Um, the, the most important thing is where are you doing the short foot, the, the timing of the short foot, and how you're connecting short foot to when you need core stability and glute strength. So... Um, because that's then going to translate to more dynamic movements. So I would have people do that like, you know, five, six, seven times and then do it on the other side and then go back to your right side and start doing single leg squat. When you do the single leg squat, you don't have to go deep because when we run, your knee bends probably 20 degrees, 20 degrees flexion, and that's all you need to do. So you do like a quarter single leg squat. When you're on the bottom of the squat, drive your big toe down into the ground and push up out of the squat. So again, it's the timing of that short foot. Do that five or six, seven times, switch to the other side, perfect. Now we're back to the right side, you're on your single leg, your knee is flat. You're going to do um, a bowler squat. Do you know what a bowler squat is? Oh, that's I don't location. know. Um, it, so when you go bowling, you kind of have like a classic. <laughs> uh, I think I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. So you kind of like you're on one leg, all your body weight is on one leg, and then the opposite leg kind of swings behind and it reaches. So right. um, I'm sure everybody who's listening at some point has done bowling. So, um, yeah, so it's like, it's like you just threw a strike and your leg's up in the air behind you and you're, you're, you're trying to yeah. – uh, you're trying to um, – Appreciate your work. <laughs> you're looking at the pin going down. Yes. So you just threw the ball, and you're just going to watch while you're in the quasi single leg squat, but it's a bowler squat. So you're, the leg that is not your standing leg is actually reaching behind you. Or if you're on your right leg, your left leg is going to reach behind you to about uh, 5 o'clock. So if you kind of thought that there was a clock on the floor, you would reach your left leg out to 5 o'clock, and then when you're on your left leg, your right leg reaches out to 7 o'clock, if that makes sense. Sure. So that would be the movement. You kick in short foot when you are bringing your leg that is out at 5 o'clock back up to the single leg position. Can you visualize That's that? new. Yeah, that's new for me. I, I never thought of that. But And what's okay. the advantage of, of drawing your, uh, your leg around behind you that way? What, is it because you're getting more glute activation? 
what you're doing is you're getting a rotation in your hip. So I'm trying to get, um, I'm trying to hit all the different fibers of the glutes, which means that they run in different planes, and I want to hit the transverse plane fibers or the rotational fibers. Got so um, every time you do it, you're going from when you reach out, you're, you're internally rotating, and then when you bring it back up, you're externally rotating your hip. Um, so I'm doing that, and then I'll do side lunges, do a side lunge, bring it back to your single leg. As you bring it to your single leg, you have to find that short foot. Okay, and then we do a reverse lunge. As you bring it back, find that short foot. We're going to do a rotational lunge, which is um, stepping your whole leg out to 7 o'clock and doing a lunge. And then you come back, you find short foot. Then I start introducing a few jumps, like just a little single leg jump, like one inch off the ground, nothing crazy. And then landing as soon as you land like the millisecond that you land and you touch the ground you have to find short foot and that's where you build your stability and then you can start bringing it into more um more dynamic movements you can jump from one side like jump to the side land find short foot jump to the other side land find short foot um you know i I work with uh basketball players and i'll have them jump from a height, so it's like hanging from a bar, and then landing on a single leg, like single leg squat, and then find short foot the millisecond they contact the ground. And you're just training the body and the nervous system to associate foot contact with reflexive stability in the rest of the body. I mean, name it, the core, or the, the lumbar pelvic hip complex. Um, and you do that, then you go run. Or then you go on the court, or then you go do your rehab, um, and you're you're tapping into the nervous system in a way that it's designed to fire, which means you're you're just moving the way you're actually designed to move, um, which is much more efficient. Very cool. So I hope that makes. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. So it's golden now, baby. So what 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 I what I see here, and I'm trying to build a case. Okay, what I see here is that in a perfect world, what one might do, runner or otherwise, would be to develop a systematic approach to their training. So when you think in terms of warm up, the first thing you're going to do in sport is uh, focus on some uh, battle with gravity, whether it be on mm-hmm. one foot, two feet, or otherwise. So you want to be as stable as possible and ensure that all the functional stabilization of your body is primed, ready to rock. And if you were to do this and add to this component, we're talking about runners, uh, a bit of an understanding and education and, and focus on good running mechanics, running mm-hmm. so that you are placing yourself in the most opportune position as possible and at the frequency that's most appropriate. Mm-hmm. Then you can go to the running shoe store and say, I'll take the pink ones because I like pink. Oh, not too much heel there, uh, fairly stable. I mean, that's, that's me. I'm protected by, you know, the earth's surface. I'm good to go. I don't, you know, nothing else needs to be said. You don't really have to get into some motion control, stability shoe, marshmallow sole. Just find something that you like that feels good on your foot. And you are, you should be golden because your body's pretty much impervious to a lot of the foolish injuries we face. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And again, it's, it's, it's not the shoe. So if exactly what you're saying, and then you can go in and pick whatever type of uh, kind of material you want on your foot because you know it's not the shoe that's doing the, the job. It's you, your body, and your movement and your mechanics. Um, and I think that's when you will start seeing finally some of a dec- decrease in the injury risk. Because even with the, the Vibrons or minimal footwear, and changing foot strike pattern, you still have 70, 80% runners getting injured. So it's not the shoes. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. And, and, and those people that went, I mean, I'm sure you're aware that Vibram uh, had a lawsuit and they, you know, they had to pay out some money for, for, you know, their marketing suggesting that they were, you know, going to keep people from having the injuries that generally associate with yeah. running. Uh, but but uh, you're absolutely point on when you said that because I saw people, many people say, oh yeah, you know, I heard that, you know, born to run, blah blah blah. But then go out and buy some very minimal mm-hmm. shoes, and then you know because your your body by nature trying to protect you staves off you landing on that heel hard, and then you shift so far forward that now you got metatarsal stress syndrome or you're you're you know basically mm-hmm. breaking your small bones, or you have plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendonitis. And, you know, and that doesn't work for you, so you get angry and you're frustrated and you go back to the, the biggest cushy sole shoe you could find. So, mm-hmm. and people go, oh, yeah, he told me to do that and I hurt myself. Or he told me to do that and I hurt myself. Well, you, you know, you just got to get it worked out. You got you to gotta learn to run properly. Uh, Emily, tell me, um, I'm assuming that you have scads of video on YouTube and off of your website where someone can see some of these exercises? Uh, yes, and I talk about them more um, in different webinars that I have. So on my website, um, I go through different kind of the education of the science behind it, and then built into those videos are um, the exercises. And I, I do have other snippets on the blog. I have um, snippets and pearls and information. And then I do have a barefoot workout, which is built around this whole idea um, and that's called bear and so I have online workouts that are so if people want like like hundreds of variations of these single leg exercises that they could do before they move they're they're out there in a workout format and you also provide a certification for educators for therapists for trainers and you have that ongoing can you talk a little bit about Number one, how they find any of this information and uh, where you're going to be next. Yes. So um, all of the information is on edfafitness.com, so edfafitness.com. And I have the Barefoot Training Specialist Certification, which is for trainers, coaches, um, movement specialists, et cetera. And then I have a Barefoot RS Certification, which is more for physical therapists and people who are treating patients with injuries, um, it's important to know that both of these certifications are not foot-specific, and people um, unfortunately misunderstand that, is understanding the power of what I'm talking about in my certifications applies to the knees, to the hip, to hip labrum tears, to the SI joints, to the lower back, to the pelvic floor, so obviously everything is connected. So um, it's not just talking about the feet. Um, next workshops that I have coming up is um, 
I'm going to be on the West Coast. I'll be in San Francisco July 13th, and then I'm in New York July 26th, and then I'm in Argentina, so if you have any listeners in Argentina, um, and then I go to Korea, and then I'm back in New York, and then I don't remember too much more. I go to Australia. I go Look to Thailand. Look at you. <laughs> you are a globetrotter. Yes, yeah, it's, it's uh, a lot of places. And I have some very good master instructors who also teach um, the courses for me. Um, and some of them are legal barefoot coaches. And uh, those people are wanting, maybe they're barefoot running coaches or they they have done the Vivo Barefoot program. This adds to what you're already doing because it's, it's all of the information um, before the people even start running. So uh, it's, it's very complementary to those programs, um, but it's not just for runners. It's not just for patients. It's somebody who just wants to get... You know, maybe they're postnatal and they want to get more out of their workout. It's, this would apply to them, um, which is, I think, the great part about it is that every human being, whatever your goal or your injury history is, this is applicable to you because it's your feet and we all have feet. So. That's right. Wow. So you got to let me know when you're planning on being in the L.A. area because I definitely want to come, obviously, meet you face-to-face and uh, participate in one of your workshops myself. I think it'd be a lot of Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, Emily, I think I think we nailed it this time. I think we were able to pull it off. Excellent. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look. Uh, best of luck to you. I think you're doing amazing work. And uh, again, I, I'm I'm looking forward to meeting you, and I'm I'm very much excited about having a chance to participate in one of your workshops soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, listen, have a wonderful weekend. I'm going to shut this baby down. We pull it off for real this time. (laughs) Take care, Emily. Thank you so much. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.